1: in our family dynamic it maybe doesn't look like what people would consider to be you know and I'm putting this in huge air quotes but like normal like a first family and I feel like that that adds extra importance to me to make sure our stories get told not in any like trying to prove it way or something but just because our stories are just as important and valuable as other people and their stories that they're telling about their families and I feel like that importance just got really solidified for me.
0: Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 113. In this episode, I'm joined by Greedy Savage to chat about the journeys we take to feel more like ourselves, both in our solo creations and how we connect with others. This is one of my favorite episodes to date because it really hits at the heart of what we all need, both online and in person. Hey, Grady, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Hi, I am doing so well. I'm super excited and thankful
0: to be here. So thanks for having me on. Yes, I am so excited. We've uh, connected a number of topics that we will be discussing today. You're a Simple Scrapper member, and I am excited for our community to get to know you a little bit better. Can you just share some of those basics? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Grady Savage. I live
1: in New Hampshire, lived in New Hampshire besides for college, basically my whole life. I love it here. I am married. I've been married for five years to my husband, Christopher, and I have a stepdaughter, Jess, so she's 16 now. She was seven when I met her, and she lives with us about 90% of the time, so she's full time through the school year, and then she's away to see her mom for about four to six weeks over the
0: summer, so that's kind of what our family dynamic looks like. Very cool. And what has been going on in your life right now over the pandemic? Oh my gosh, (laughs) what hasn't been going on? Uh, All of us are pretty much
1: at home all the time. We're super fortunate because my husband was actually working from home before the pandemic, so that transition for him was really easy. Uh, Because Jessica's a teenager, she's still virtual but that really has been okay for her she misses her friends but schoolwork wise you know it's very different I would imagine than having a, a younger kid a kindergartner or first grader she knows the technology and everything so she's just doing doing school at home and we're kind of trucking along my profession normally when it's not a pandemic is I'm a stage manager in theater so obviously all of those productions closed and stopped. Mm, so yes. I haven't been doing that, but it's given me a lot of time to really work on some other things, some work things and some kind of creative passion things. So I'll take it. And we're all safe at home, still kind of trucking along, excited for, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel that we're seeing, but that's kind of what's been going on with us.
0: Yeah. I think we're all have searched for silver linings this entire past year. And now with that, that light at the end of the tunnel that you say, it just, it's kind of that there's almost even in greater tension that (sighs) you want the stress, the relief, the stress, the, the kind of evolution into the next phase. And then there's all the questions of again, of what is safe and what should we do? And it's just, it's an interesting time for sure. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. And I think it's interesting in an industry where, Everything depends on a crowd of people sitting indoors close together. So even though we're seeing a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, which I'm so grateful for, I cannot wait to see my parents and I'll take that over anything any day of the week. But um, it is strange because even seeing those steps, it's like, okay, but I don't really know when I'm going to be actually back to work. And it's okay, We'll make it work. But it's definitely been. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of tension in that kind of middle space
0: yeah I think you you highlight something that's so interesting is that how um, I think the pandemic has given us this a new awareness of how each person as an individual, uh, regardless of whether or not they're they're working outside the home, but how your life intersects with other people or or doesn't and mm-hmm. and what degree of that requires, you know, face-to-face contact and proximity. And it's not something we really ever thought about before. It's just kind of, a, I don't know, an interesting observation. Completely. Yeah. Some things require, you know, more than you maybe would
1: have expected. And I feel like some things, man, people are getting really creative about figuring out how to make it work even even without that face-to-face. So it's definitely been, I think there's been some more creativity in a lot of places that we maybe wouldn't have ever seen it before.
0: So just taking, yeah. Taking no, I'm looking forward to kind of that. What um, I guess what innovations come out of this time that maybe stick that people realize, oh, well, we could have been doing it this way all along. <laughs> yeah, because maybe this works even better than it did before.
1: Absolutely, I think there's going to be a lot of that for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So that was just a tangent. So <laughs> foreboding of where our conversation is going. I know we're going to have a lot to discuss, but let's uh, recenter here. And what is exciting you in scrapbooking right now?
1: Okay. the Honestly, the real question here might be what isn't exciting me in scrapbook right now, because I am very into so many of the projects and things that have been happening in the memory keeping world. Even things I'm maybe not personally participating in, I just love following along and seeing what people are doing and how they're creating. Uh, Personally, I've been super interested in scanning old family photos, so from my parents and from Christopher's parents and getting those digitized. I've been working on that project since pre-pandemic for probably at least a couple years, but having more time on my hands has definitely, you know, amped up that process, and I, uh, I'm kind of nostalgic by nature, so I am just loving going through all those and hearing the stories and sending a picture out and saying, tell me what, what this is about. So that's been a really exciting thing for me.
0: Oh, I love that. And you know, there's a certain, sometimes I forget to take that extra step. I'll do the, whatever whatever the documentation part or the the scanning, the pulling together things in my little bubble of my office. But there's so much added value that you can get from having the conversations with family members even if they don't even have as much proximity to it as you'd like them to they're going to know something or they're going to have their relationship to that image yeah and I think it's just so important to be having those conversations
1: completely well and it's fun to um, be able to do it obviously I'd love to be able to have these conversations in person but it's fun to be able to send something out and then get a response when somebody you know in their own time they can give you more info or you can chat more about it that's been kind of a cool thing that in the past I would have just waited and you know sat down and maybe gone through 50 photos which might be a little overwhelming for my family members but being able to send out one or two and just get kind of little snippets of the story that's been so interesting
0: oh i bet and so i'm curious what do you have any lessons learned from doing all of the scanning like a trick that you can share because this is a topic that comes up again and again um with a lot of our members and in our community at large sure yeah i have no idea if others will want to do this but
1: I was originally doing it with whatever I had on hand, so I was using an app, or I was using a flatbed scanner, and both of those worked fine, but over the pandemic, I purchased a, um, like a feed scanner, and it's not the super fancy one that you can put 300 photos in, and it goes really fast. That's amazing, but that was just out of our budget, but I got a feed scanner that's still one at a time, but it's just way faster, and for me... It was worth it to save that time, and comparatively, it's not going to – it still goes up to to 600 DPI, but it's not going to be able to do the, like, crazy huge, but I looked at my priorities, and I went, it is more important to me personally – this might not be true for others, but it's more important to me personally to get those saved in some form than it is to get them saved perfectly, (laughs) and so Mm. I just said, this is what I'm going to do, and we're going to go for it, and it's been amazing, and frankly, my family – has not cared. If I can blow it up bigger than a eight by 10 or whatever, that's just has not been relevant. Again, I'm sure for some people it might be, but for me, just making that decision that like, rather than wait and try to save up for this fancy schmancy thing or wait until a better time, we're going to get what we can get and, and start getting these things, you know, saved in this way.
0: Yes. That's such an important point is what is, the path that it provides the most acceptable results the good enough results mm. that will actually see the project uh, make progress or even get done and sometimes those the answers of what we thought we were going to do and then the answer that comes out of that is very very different <laughs> because totally. we ha- we can we realize we can make a compromise. You know how many times and this happens all the time when we're like you're doing a doodle poll with friends and they say, "Well, I, c- I can't come if you do it that weekend." And then but everyone else can, you end up scheduling it and then that one person that said they couldn't come, they <laughs> found a way, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> to make it come, to make to be able to come that weekend. It seems to to you know, most of the time always work out. We we find ways to compromise to accomplish the things that are important to us. For sure. For sure. And, and tampering those perfectionist tendencies,
1: if you're a person who has those. Mm-hmm. I feel like once you have the results, you're like, oh, man, why did it take so long to even
0: take this step? So that's been good for me to remember. Yeah, especially when you're actually seeing the progress. and like, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have started this so much sooner. Um, I feel that way with my doing my Lightroom photo book. I like totally threw spaghetti against the wall all last year. And I'm like, why <laughs> didn't I just do this thing that I had done before in the past, if I would have tried it the first time, I would have had a book in my hands by now (laughs) instead of trying to be going backwards and, and catching up from last year. So, all right. What about your bucket list? Is there a story that you know that's really important to you that you really want to tell? Yes.
1: Okay. I've been embarrassed about the fact that this question is coming up because I think this is actually kind of common. I don't have a wedding album. I feel like this is super classic. I don't have an album of our wedding photos. I don't have a photo book. I don't have an album. I don't have anything. We have a lot of the photos around the house, which is great. And I think that counts for something for sure, but we don't have a finished album. And part of it is because our photographer was just straight up amazing. And she gave us almost 2000 photos. And I love you know, so many of them. Like even trying to decide to go through to put any online, it was like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna <laughs> make this a small enough album to be able to post it? So that's a huge one on my bucket list, and I definitely know that it's just because it's a major event, and so that feels pretty important. And I think it's really easy to be like, mm, that's too important for me to try to <laughs> to get this done and maybe mess it up, but it is on my radar to do for sure.
0: So. Here, here's a strategy that, that popped into my head, and I guess something that I've done in c- circumstances like this in the past is that I kind of uh, step outside my scrapbooker hat or I take off the scrapbooker hat and focus on, okay, I just want to make a beautiful photo book. It doesn't even have to have words because pretty clearly it's a wedding right? And you know who the people who are, who are getting married here. <laughs> um, maybe you have, like, the date on in there somewhere. But can you just celebrate those photos? And then if you want to do something that's scrapbooky and more story, you can do that in a separate or different way at a later time. That's actually brilliant because – so I have one of
1: those – Fill in the blank books from Becky Higgins. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's like a wedding album. It's a like six by eight album and it has all these questions, right? It's like, oh, who's your, your best man and what was the weather like and all these things. Uh-huh. And I have not, <laughs> I have put photos in for all of the categories and have not filled out a word in this thing. And I think it makes perfect sense to, because I feel like it has to be perfect, right? Because it's the only thing yeah. I have for my wedding. But maybe I'm just, this is processing my head right now maybe creating some kind of photo book that's focusing on that will make me feel less stressed out about getting the words down cuz it's not the only thing that i have of our wedding so i'm definitely going to think about that i think that's a great idea
0: yeah there's 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 always a way to maybe look at it a little bit differently and and i know that uh, when it comes to like, especially professional photos, they kind of end up, they feel like in a league of their own, mm. you know, whether they are or not, that's a whole, that could be an hour discussion <laughs> on its own, but it's okay to just celebrate them as, as beautiful things. And let's make a beautiful thing that then can be shared with others. And, and our, not that our scrapbooking isn't beautiful, but it's clearly different. It's not, we, they, we didn't create those photos. Someone else did. Yeah. So um, Yeah. Just something to think about. No, that's great. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely going to think about that for sure. Okay, so diving into the meat of this episode, this is a little bit of a different conversation. Um, You know, I've titled it Community, Identity, and Storytelling, and and what, what my kind of hypothesis here is, is that the communities that we're a part of, they can reinforce, give confidence in our own identities, and... And once we kind of once we really feel that identity, it helps us tell better stories about ourselves and document who we really are and who we want to become. And I think that community is such a, a part of that. Mm. And you are a member of, of different communities. And, you know, this, this came up because you are a Simple Scrapper member. But, you know, you're a stepmom. You are in theater. You know, and I'm sure there's other communities we're going to talk about here today, too. And so I I just thought this this we could have a really meaningful conversation about this, you know, through your story. So, I'm excited about it. Yeah,
1: me too. Me too. I definitely think it's a huge part of all of our identities and storytelling for sure. I think
0: it's it's the communities we're a part of are totally woven into our lives. Yes, yes, yes. So, okay, kind of just to give some context, let's start with your background as a scrapbooker. Um, When and why did you start scrapbooking? Sure. So I mentioned earlier that I consider myself
1: nostalgic by nature. So I've been like the kid – I was the kid with the journal in middle school and I taped the notes from my friends and I had photos in there. So I've sort of always done some kind of memory keeping, although to me that was just like, oh, writing in my journal. (laughs) You know, it didn't have a name. Um, And then in 2011, I attempted to make a Project Life scrapbook. I had first heard of it. And I considered it incredibly unsuccessful. Um, I don't actually consider myself super visually artistic. And so I got stressed. It wasn't looking like how I wanted it to be. It wasn't. It just wasn't what I wanted, so I gave up. Um, and between, you know, around 2016, I was like, oh, maybe I'll try app scrapbooking. And I tried that a little bit. And sort of nothing stuck. It's always been really important to me you know, photos and stories, but finding a way to do it, it just never kind of felt right. And then in this pandemic, I got really more focused on getting more memories down on paper. I'm sure part of that was the scanning photos that I talked about. Mm-hmm. And I just decided, you know what? What the heck? Let's try paper scrapbooking. It's still uh, I still use pockets, but kind of the rest is history. I It's funny because I've heard a lot of people say that their 2020 albums are tiny, or they're boring, or they don't have anything in them. And my 2020 album, which is two albums, is literally the best thing I've ever made. It's so full. It has so much in it because it was just tons of experimenting and like figuring out what I like. And so that's kind of the when and why it's been a thing that's been present, but I only started really kind of focusing and digging in on it in the past year, year and a half.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. So it sounds like it's been, you know, percolating in you and you're just kind of waiting for that out the the right outlet to kind of, and maybe circumstances to kind of coincide. Yeah, totally. And the confidence, right? Like
1: like I said, I just don't necessarily see myself as super good visually. So I felt like, nah, I don't know. And then when it just got to the point where I was like, listen, theater, which is normally a huge creative outlet for me, isn't happening. Let's just try it. Who cares what it looks like? And it's funny because I feel like I've obviously grown and improved my skills by doing it. And
0: that's a thing you don't always remember until you're doing the thing. So. Oh, 100%. So just a, a pause here. I feel like that if you ever started like a rap duo, it would have to be called Nostalgic by Nature.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's so good.
0: Okay. I'm I'm filing that in my brain for sure. No. Okay. So are you cons- not concerned, but have you thought about the future when life looks more normal for you or like what it did in the past? How will you kind of balance Um, time for scrapbooking. Yeah. It it feels like it's such a, it's a a big creative outlet for you, but you have other creative outlets that maybe you haven't been able to do. So how would that? For sure.
1: That's definitely been something on my mind, especially just now, like we talked about earlier with things sort of changing. But -hmm. what I started doing in, 2021 that's been awesome is I just work on something memory keeping related for 15 minutes every day at least. I know some people that works great some people that's the worst idea ever but for me it's great because I know I'm getting something done and I'm not putting a huge pressure on myself to get everything done or be able to create as much or the same as 2020. And that's been helpful because even though we're still all at home, I've had more meetings and I've had more, you know, I've just had more things open up even virtually as things are kind of planning for potential future. And so my schedule's yeah. already started changing. And I think just having that, like those few minutes to just center myself in it and know that I'm creating, even if it's not creating everything under the sun, <laughs> that's really helped for sure.
0: So I'm curious, when is there a particular time of the day that you do this regularly? How do you make sure you get those 15 minutes in? Yeah, I
1: am a night owl, like the classic night owl. If I could stay up until 2 a.m. every night and sleep until... 10 a.m. I would if that was like viable for schedules and and I would totally thrive. So I feel really creative at night. So it's kind of perfect that when things are winding down, I just make sure I get some time to do that. Sometimes I'll do things earlier in the day if I know my schedule is crazy or something, but it actually works really well for me to do at the end of the day. And it's kind of a good like wind down for my brain.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I think it's important to recognize that you know, you might be listening to this episode and what works for Grady isn't necessarily going to work for you. So to think about what's your natural rhythm and when maybe, when could it serve you best to add this little, um, this little commitment to yourself and your creativity into your life?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. So over the past year, how, what have you kind of started to understand about why why you enjoy this hobby and how it's important in your life? Yeah,
1: for sure. So, you know, like I said, with being kind of the kid with a journal and everything, memories and all of that stuff has always been so important to me. But realizing in this year the things I've focused on working on. So I simultaneously was working on 2020 and I also went back and did a 2012 album, like a Project Lifestyle, but monthly. Um, and I realized when I was thinking about this, that 2012 is when Christopher and I started dating. So it's when I met Jess and I chose to do that because there are so many memories of when she was little and meeting her and just kind of like what that creation of a brand new family was looking like at that time Mm -hmm. that I really wanted to make sure I got down. And, and part of that, you know, I think is, is partially because, in our family dynamic, it maybe doesn't look like what people would consider to be, you know, and I'm putting this in huge air quotes, but like normal, like a first family. And I feel like that, that adds extra importance to me to make sure our stories get told, not in any like trying to prove it way or something, but just because our stories are just as important and valuable as other people and their stories that they're telling about their families. And I feel like that importance just got really solidified for me this year. And I think that's going to be a huge part of what I continue to focus on moving forward.
0: Oh, I love that. And and I know we're going to get into more of that later in the conversation. Um, I, I see so much of that in my own story because I became a scrapbooker really when I, I I dabbled before, but when I got married and, you know, was kind of thrown into a blended family <laughs> with two uh, teenage boys and a large dog. And I had to kind of find myself again within that new context mm, totally. and find out what was important to me and how was I going to to document my own story as I was kind of recreating it, you know, I picked up and moved across the country and inserted myself into this family that was already there. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right, so uh, kind of shifting gears here to talk a little bit more about your personality, your identity. We had this conversation just, I guess, was this yesterday or two days ago? Yeah, a couple of days ago, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And so um I had reshared this Coco Daisy post with a little project life card that said, introverted but willing to discuss plants. <laughs> and I think I have like a fantasy self where that's accurate, but in reality is that I do not have a green thumb. Like I only am allowed to have fake plants here in my office because anything that comes in here dies. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and I have like really great lights and everything, and it's just I'm just not a very good plant mom. <laughs> But I said that my card should say introverted but willing to discuss scrapbooking, curly hair products, or Adam Scott, (laughs) not the golfer, the one from Parks and Rec. Absolutely. Of course. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And you replied almost instantly with your version of that. So can you tell me what you said? Yeah,
1: for sure. I loved that. I loved that quote. And I thought it was a really fun way to just like, I don't know, jump in with like, oh, man, what could I discuss at a whim? Right. And so I responded back with introverted, which is true, but willing to discuss step parenting, scrapbooking and summer camp.
0: Yeah. And then I was so curious. I knew like I knew this, obviously the step parenting part, but I was not didn't know anything about the summer camp part. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I have been involved in summer camp in a leadership position of some kind since I was a teenager, since I was a counselor in training, which I think you're 17 when you do that. And I've done it ever since. I've been a counselor. I've been a you know, CIT leader. I've been a camp director. So I've kind of run the gamut of experience within that role. And it's funny because just like the card said, I'm very introverted. And I also, frankly, consider myself pretty awkward around adults. I feel like I, I don't always know what to say. But um, with kids, it just feels easy and it feels really comfortable. I don't know if it's because I have so much experience working with them or I do have a background in education or if it's kind of all of the above. But it's funny because my comfort level with kids, even like a Zoom meeting with five adults versus like running a Zoom camp meeting is just leaps and
0: bounds. My comfort level is totally different. Oh, 100%. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) Leading Zoom Girl Scout meetings is much – sometimes much more – Less intimidating, than
1: <laughs> for sure. Than doing
0: something with a bunch of adults. <laughs> so you know it's so interesting because, and I wonder if if maybe part of this is just like growing up in New Hampshire, and you always, you think of just you know the the, the New England summer camp experience, sure. Um, and I just I don't I, that thing that that entity doesn't exist in the same way through other parts of the country. Mm. Um, so I was wondering if that kind of maybe is, is part of it. So uh, do, I'm assuming you went to summer camp prior to becoming a counselor in training.
1: So it's funny. I actually only went to summer camp for one year. Um, I was a camper for one year and then I became staff, but also, uh, to be fair, the summer camp that I first got into camps with was a theater summer camp. So okay. I would explain it to people like, oh, yeah, you expect, you know, on the first day I showed up, the first day of a camp, my one year as a camper, I showed up with a sleeping bag and, you know, and the other girls in my cabin had like full comforters and decor. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> whoops, uh, totally awesome and like up my alley but just very funny because it's not necessarily what you would think of when you think of summer camp it was more you know you're doing
0: dance lessons and singing than you know canoeing on a lake oh sure yeah I didn't think of it that way that's interesting well it's it it's interesting to I've had so many experiences especially growing up where you finally kind of find your people Mm. And maybe this is a a good connection to this idea of community is that when you are like in embedded with your people, it's a totally different experience than maybe where there's a much uh, larger diversity of different types of interests and groups and communities. Whereas like I know I went to I was a math club nerd. And so (laughs) we went to math competitions and we'd spend our whole weekends and we'd spend our, you know, after school and evenings practicing. And we were just doing math for fun but we were in our element and we were with our people and everyone and was-, was doing math for fun yeah my husband did academic decathlon and he he described oh, I, I very similarly
1: yes <laughs> and he's like yeah. if we would get together and it would be great like, all right well I was like making up theme songs with my friends but <laughs> same
0: idea <laughs> yeah yeah no but there's there is something to that it's like when you when you can find your people and I, I definitely feel that same way with scrapbooking because I'm I'm a total introvert I can't make small talk Like, I can barely talk about the weather. And then when somebody (laughs) asks me about gas prices, I'm like, I don't know. My husband gets the gas. Like, I I can't do small talk. But if you put me in a room with a bunch of scrapbookers, we're going to talk about paper we're going to talk about embellishments we're going to talk about how the heck do we store all those punches and you know or how to use photoshop like it's there's when you have something in common it can jumpstart a conversation and put put people at ease a thousand percent and there's that shared language already and there's that shared
1: experience and obviously that's still going to be varied with what in that industry or in that community makes sense but still there's that understanding and that shared language that can just totally jumpstart a conversation and a comfort level like immediately within a group, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I love about social media because we'll put posts out there and we'll share memes and it's like almost this way of amplifying our identity. It's like a beacon that we put out there says, are you like me? Do you agree <laughs> with this? Is this you too? And it makes you feel more connected even to people who are strangers. I I, I don't know about you, but I have some people on Facebook where I don't I know that I've never met them in person, but I don't know exactly how I met them online. We've just been friends on Facebook for a while. Yeah, connected but we somehow. Know we, yeah, but we know we have things in common and I like, I like this person's post and I, I always, you know, make a comment or, or press a like button or whatever because I feel connected by the ways that we're similar, that we, um, whether it's something that we like, something we do, a community we're in, or a way that we, you know, agree on an issue or something. Totally. So and we've mentioned that you and I share this experience of stepmotherhood. I'm I'm curious, how has your identity as a stepmother shifted over time um, from when you first started dating your husband and you met Jess to today? Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: my gosh. <laughs> Hugely. <laughs> so in the beginning... I feel like so much was just trying to figure out the dynamics and that was, you know, within our family. So where I fit in, where I wanted to fit in, uh, where sort of where other people viewed how I fit in, everything just felt uh, a lot more unsure And, you know, what do I call myself? What's my role in the family? How much or how little do I parent? There's just so many questions. And I feel like that shaped my identity in sort of a like, let's figure this out sort of way in the beginning. And now years later, It's almost been a decade, right? And our family is so much more solid and we just have so much shared experience and shared family identity and we have a really strong dynamic and my identity as a stepmother has just completely solidified and also something that has always been true about me in regards to stepmotherhood, but I feel like I've really embraced it just more and more and more and more and more is I'm so proud of it there is no shame at all to me in being a stepmom I love the word stepmom it doesn't bother me I feel like I'm like on a one woman mission to take back the word stepmom from being like an evil stepmom to something awesome I think our relationship's really special I love having a stepdaughter I don't see that as like an insulting thing to say and I've I've never felt like that was bad but I feel like just the more time and the more our family has grown and the more I've just gotten comfortable with it, I I feel like that's something that has solidified too. And that's so that has grown as a bigger and bigger part of my identity just because my comfort with it has just grown and grown and grown.
0: Yes, for sure. Well, and, and the point that you make about language, I, I've seen you make several posts on Facebook about um, kind of gathering feedback and, and seeing how people use language and, and the way it makes them feel. Why do you think it's important to to have those conversations and to kind of retake the word stepmom or stepdad? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think there's so
1: much weight to the words that we use. Good, bad, otherwise, there's so much to the words that we use. And I think for a stepfamily, which might, you know, if you're not in that community, this might – Feel like an overreaction, but I can promise you that those words have a ton of weight, and you can be criticized for using the words. You can say, "Oh, you, you know, you call your stepdaughter your stepdaughter. You really should treat her like your, oh, you know." There's just there's a ton of weight around this language, and I think that it's important that we acknowledge that. And I think that within anybody's family, like whatever terms feel the most comfortable and right for them is totally fine. So if if stepmom or stepchild doesn't feel right to your family, I'm certainly not saying you know I don't care. You should use it, but I think that knowing that there's weight to this language, but also knowing that there's there's just a, a huge misconception about step in particular, step families in general, but step moms in particular, and I'm sure there's a million reasons for that. But knowing that that's there. And then being willing for me, because I'm comfortable with it, I'm totally willing to be like, I'll be the example of a stepmom who really is just into her role, like understands that it's different than maybe a biological or a first family mother figure. And I'm willing to just kind of step in and, and jump in with both feet for that. And if somebody isn't, that's totally fine. But I think acknowledging that that language is so heavy and can really like, be a big deal for people is the first step, right? <laughs> it's just, we have to acknowledge that it's a thing in order to work through it.
0: That's for sure. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about Emily and, and her brothers and we we just call them her brothers. They're her half brothers, yep. but that part didn't make sense, but they call me their stepmom. I call them my stepsons and that's what feels comfortable. And, and, and I think seeing you and, and having these conversations has made I guess helped even solidify that further and give myself confidence in, you know we we have to make our own decisions, but to embrace the identity that we have, and that those really each relationship uh, between every individual is very unique and very special in its own way, yeah, completely. It's funny that you say that too,
1: because Jess has an older um, you know, technically half-sister. Her mom has another daughter. Um, and it's very similar. You know, she's her sister, and that's what we would say um, for mm-hmm. that dynamic. But for the the sort of step mom stepchild relationship, that's super comfortable for us. And and she and I have talked. You know, especially as she, as she gets older and older, she and I have talked about that. And I always want to check in because sometimes that language can be weighty. I want to make sure she doesn't think I'm. Like, no, this is my stepdaughter in some sort of bad way. But because we've been able to be open about it, it's, you know, always just been something that's okay to be on the table and talk about and how is that feeling? And I think that really helps to, if there's a lot of emotion around something, it can be tempting to not bring it up, (laughs) but I think it actually helps to bring it up and kind of be able to
0: figure that out in an honest way with your family. For sure. I'm curious. And, you know, I've, I've not listened to your podcast because, to be honest, since I started my own, I've listened to a lot fewer podcasts, <laughs> for sure, because I spend all that time editing this one. Oh, yeah, for but I'm sure. I'm curious, <laughs> has Jess been a guest on your podcast? She hasn't.
1: She hasn't been a guest. She's actually an incredibly shy kid, so that's not something that okay. would be um, in, in her, her comfort, comfort level. I would totally be willing if that was something she'd be willing to do. But I think if that happened, it would be years down the line, just kind of knowing what her comfort level is, like, talking
0: to to people she doesn't know. Oh, sure. That makes sense, too. I was just, yeah, just the – I love how you are kind of honoring, as I said, the specialness, uniqueness of these relationships and the fact that you're kind of giving a voice – to, to this community. So you have a podcast and a community for stepmoms. Why do you think this is so needed? Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, you know, the reality
1: is, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but stepmotherhood is hard. Uh, It's amazing. My family is the best thing on the planet. It is also the hardest thing I've ever done. Point blank, hands down, hardest thing I've ever done. And people who aren't stepmoms, they just don't get it. And I don't expect them to because they haven't lived it. Right. But when I was first dating my, you know, husband now, I was looking for resources. And so many of them and I am not being hyperbolic, so many of them quite literally were like run. <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, well, that does not help me at all." So, I realized pretty early that if I couldn't find a community that was a good fit or content that felt helpful, I I guess I was going to have to make it <laughs> myself. And so, it's funny because I think the community piece for any community, you know, that we're discussing is so important. I have to tell you, Jennifer, that when I found out that you were a stepmom, I can't even begin to tell you how stoked I was. I think I just Aww. saw it in a post or something. <laughs> but knowing that that connection exists yeah. can, hel- can help can yes. help immensely with like feeling less alone and knowing there are other people in it. And, you know, I don't know if you've run into this, but so much of stepmotherhood is just really complicated and it can mean so much to talk with people who they already have that baseline of understanding to the trials to the wins to the pain and complications of building a step family. and like what we were talking about earlier of that shared language and that shared understanding I think like having a community for folks who get it and you don't have to discuss the six levels just to get on the same baseline cuz they already know it cuz they're a stepmom. I think that just makes a world of difference.
0: Oh, 100% and I I think back in in 2008 and 2009 when I was especially going that whole first year, I could have I could have used something like that to even just understand expectations and complications and obviously you know why uh the two biological parents are not together and their relationship is a part of that Mm -hmm. and um yeah I think having having other people who've been through that would have been so amazing for me because you know I feel like I'm kind of on the other side of it now especially now that that my stepson's are out of the house sure But those the growing up years and dealing with like birthdays and holidays and graduations, it's, you know, it's complicated. And and you jump right in. You jump right in. You're like, oh, you guys already have
1: things you you do already. And how do I feel about them? And where do I fit
0: there? Yeah, so Mm -hmm. much. Well, and even just I'm sure like innovative solutions. Here's how we've made it work so that it's comfortable for everyone. And then you can bring that back to your family. Like, Hey, I have this idea Would <laughs> would this work for everyone. And then you talk about it and you find out if it would or not, but just to, to learn from those experiences, I think would be so valuable. Totally. Totally. Kind of going back to your, to your memory keeping. Um, you've, you, you mentioned that, you know, you really only kind of like Dove in with, with a passion in this past year, but you'd been dabbling. How has memory keeping supported your, your growth and your identity as a stepmom um, over the, the past decade? Yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, again, I've done a lot of memory keeping that's not maybe in the traditional sense of scrapbooking, mm-hmm. but I did begin writing a blog when I started this journey. Like, literally, my mom was the only one who read it, but <laughs> just, like, to, to get down a lot of these stories and experiences, and I'm so grateful for that now because a lot of those feelings even – from something from, you know, three or four years ago, I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember that, but I, I wouldn't have maybe been able to express it now. (laughs) And so having all of those things written down has been super helpful for kind of noticing that growth and development. But I also think that the Sort of changes in my life and my identity of being a stepmom have impacted my need for memory keeping. Uh, it's just like I said earlier; it's just so important to me that our family story is taken down and remembered. And that just as a kid, right? There's all these studies about kids feeling valued and loved and appreciated in their family. And I think it's even more complicated when maybe that family looks looks a little bit different than families around them. And I think it just became more and more important to me that that was solidified as part of our story and that we had kind of all of these memories somewhere besides my head or my phone. (laughs) So I think that's a big part of it.
0: Well, I think that most connects with me in terms of where, what photos and where that I choose to place in my house and where I choose to place them and how that reflects how I'm kind of honoring what who lives in the home as well as who's part of our family altogether. Yes. And, you know, my, Steve and I have really put a really big role in making sure that the boys are in every single room and that they're on the wall because so they are part of our family, even though they are, you know, they're adults and living their own lives. Right. Yeah. I think that's really key, too. And, like, even fostering just
1: those relationships and and validating them like you said with Emily and her brothers and just kind of having those things front and center it's been helpful because my family like my you know nuclear family has been so incredibly accepting of Jess and of Chris and our relationship and our family dynamic and and so we have family photos and we have photos of Jess and I have two siblings and only one of them has one child. So the two kind of grandkids are Jess, who's 16, and my nephew Aiden, who's five. But we have lots of pictures uh-huh. of them together and their cousins and, like, just sort of celebrating all of those family dynamics and and making sure that they're present, you know, visually present in our house and in in the stories and memories that, that I keep and, and kind of take down.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, and I think that's one of the other reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is that, and, and we could do this with so many of our guests too. We all have families that look a certain way and it's important that we celebrate that that family is how you define it. Mm-hmm. And this is our family of, of choice. And, and all families are, are beautiful and we are um, documenting and sharing of those only just uh, helps others see uh see that beauty yeah absolutely absolutely and I think it can also help
1: others be more confident in in their families and feeling Mm. like oh yeah okay like other people maybe have these complicated dynamics it doesn't make anybody's family better or worse it just is and kind of just having that out in the open and being an important part of all of us telling our stories I think can make a difference
0: Yes. Yes. We are. We all have modern families today. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. All right. So what what other communities, whether it's online, mostly online today (laughs) or offline in the pre-pandemic world, have you been a part of over the years? Like maybe we can kind of run it down. Um. Yeah, for sure. So in, you know, I spoke
1: about this, but in non-COVID times, I work in the theater. And I'm a stage manager currently, but I've been in the theater community for almost 25 years since I was a little kid, you know, third grade or whatever. (laughs) And I both performed and did uh, crew and design elements. I was in band and chorus in high school, and both those things were really important to me. Um, And then honestly, and we can get into it this a little bit further, of course, but delving into this memory keeping hobby that I've had this sort of secret interest in for years, but didn't feel confident enough to pursue it until, like I said, about a year ago in any kind of way where anyone else knew what I was doing. The, really, truly the impact of being in a community like Simple Scrapper, it's really been really massive. Um, I think just being around people who understand your passion and then also encourage you even uh even when or maybe especially when you're still trying to figure it all out uh that has made a huge impact on me and my confidence in trying new things in finding an identity in being confident about what I'm doing why I'm doing it so i feel like a lot of the communities have helped me kind of move forward and give me confidence in in who i am and what i'm about
0: what well, i guess i want to i want to toot our horn here is i think that's that's part of our our secret sauce of what we do. Maybe that's a little bit different than other scrapbooking communities is that we're about helping you figure out your way. That's why this podcast is called Scrapbook Your Way <laughs> and, and helping you feel confident. And this, this is how I want to show up as a scrapbooker today in the, the way in this season of life that I'm in. And I can recognize that that might change. It'll evolve. It should and it will um but we're gonna we're gonna lift you up and celebrate what what you love and help you get towards your goals rather than telling you that you should be doing it this way or your goals should be these things
1: yes I completely agree and like you don't have to toot your own horn but like I'll toot it for you beep beep because like it has been amazing to see the impact just personally on having that community around me. And like I said, like I would never have posted anything publicly about anything I was working on as a person who considers myself more like musically artistic than visually artistic. I see these people with these amazing projects. I'm like, I don't even know how your brain (laughs) knew to do that. Cause I'm like, how do I make this color look nice on this photo? Like I just, you know, especially in the beginning really had no like little to no confidence about that, but being in the community of people who they're not just like blowing smoke like oh everything you do is amazing it's not that sort of thing it's just encouraging everyone with what works for them and so there's just a really honest genuine engagement and people are not afraid to say hey that's totally like not what I would do I would do this but like I love that you tried this thing and I just feel like the community is really genuine because people aren't having to act like their style is something else or their favorite technique or project is something else. They're just able to say, this is what I like to do. I don't care if nobody has done this in three decades, this is what I do and I love it. And everyone around them is like, dang, that's awesome. And I think that's been huge.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Well, it, it can take encouragement to, to get to the point of not caring, to let go Mm. and to just show your, to show your authentic self in a community online because sure. you think there's a certain expectation, um, or that you have to be good enough, whatever that is <laughs> to, to share your work. Uh, and I mean, your pages are amazing and I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm curious. I'm actually assuming that your training in theater, your experience in music and all of the other ways that you've been creative has kind of given you um, i don 't know just like baseline muscle for for scrapbooking to be able to to jump in it and try new things and to be able to make connections between the your photos the words and the stuff huh I think however we practice creativity makes us more flexible and nimble
1: yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that's really interesting, and I also think right like so much of trying new things is making sure that we're talking to ourselves and not saying, like I've said on this podcast several times, because it's true, is that I never considered myself a visually creative person. And it's like, well, why? (laughs) Like, did you just decide that and then not, and then just be like, well, that's the truth. And I think I did. And so I think trying something new and just being like, well, you know what, Eh, whatever, (laughs) like, let's just try it has actually helped me feel free to just make something and like it. And even if nobody else would like it, whatever, but also to get, to actually get better (laughs) because I'm doing it. I think thinking about it and then going, "Ah, you're bad at that, completely stops you from getting better at it. Like even whether that's true or not, you know, which probably it isn't, but even if it is, well, you're not going to get any better by just going,
0: well, I guess I'll never, ever try that skill. (laughs) Well, there's also, you have to identify that, it's not that you're not visually creative. Maybe you just haven't expressed yourself in that medium. You haven't, you just haven't done it. You don't have any, anything to base it on. Right. Um, so it's, it's a different thing to say to yourself though. Um, I don't have experience in that domain versus I'm not good at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And realizing also that like,
1: there's nothing wrong. Like, having no experience with something just means you have no experience. It doesn't mean anything bad about you or like, dang, you should be so good at this by now. Like why it's new. Yeah. When you're new at something, you're usually not good at it. And that's fine. Like that doesn't mean anything. It means you're learning.
0: Well, yeah. It means you're human too. For sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There's that, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, just the, this idea. And um, when we were talking about your, your past experience, I was thinking about this idea of cross training you know, and I like whether or not you like Tom Brady, and I'm sure in New England, you have a perception of Tom Brady, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's he's known for like doing meditation and yoga and ballet. And obviously those that's not practicing football in quotes, but that's cross training so that his his muscles stay nimble and pliable so that he can do the things he needs to do to be still Tom Brady at his age. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, that's such a good point. Now and now and so, I'm going through my head of like, oh, what what things have been cross training for me for this? Probably a lot. Yeah, no, I'm. I think this this could be a whole nother conversation. I'm very. Um, I don't think I've used those words before related to this, and now I'm very excited to explore it more. Yes, write that <laughs> down. Don't forget it. That's really good. <laughs> we've we've touched on something that I think is really juicy. Yeah. But okay, going back to community, how do you think we can be better? community members or or community leaders because we're all we're all both oftentimes at the same time sometimes in the same communities we're members and leaders of that community and I certainly feel that way about Simple Scrapper mm. but we all play a role in all the communities we're part of I think of it as these we're you know I don't know if it's like a bubble diagram but we have us in the center and then you kind of go out to these different circles where you intersect with others and that's these little communities that you're a part of and sometimes you're in a leadership role and sometimes you're just you're a member and you're responding to other leaders. How can we be more effective in in doing that in ways that that support our identity and growth? Yeah. Yeah. Dang. This is such a big question. I
1: think something. Well, I think you touched on this, but when you're a community member, you kind of are a community leader regardless because you're the way you approach things and your, you know, responses affect the whole community. Right. So I think that's a good thing to just remember. Um, but I also think something that I try to do, and this could just be because I get nervous, but I just assume that anyone who's sharing something is like potentially really nervous. And so that helps me because it helps me to remember, to respond with the grace and support, um, uh, that I would if I knew somebody was really nervous, right? And and that could be somebody, you know, online sharing a scrapbook layout for the first time. Or it could be somebody discussing a complex dynamic with their family or anything in between. And I don't at all mean in, like, a fake way. Like, I think you should always respond in a way that's honest to you and to who you are. But I also think keeping in the forefront of my mind that, like, wow, this might be, you know, to me, this might just seem, oh, they shared a random thing that they did. Cool. Uh, but keeping in mind that they might've actually sat there in front of a computer or, you know, sat by the phone waiting to call you for 30 minutes being like, maybe I shouldn't do this. I think it helps me be a better community member and a better leader, whether kind of officially or just knowing that it makes an impact because, I realize that what I do and say can have can have a serious impact on somebody. And I hope that that helps to nurture the identities of others because I think feeling cared about and supported is a huge way to help people grow in what their true identity is and, and who they truly are. So I, I hope that that's helpful. But that's kind of a thing that I think about when somebody is sharing something, whether just in person or online, is just being like, hey, this might have been, even if it would have been an easy thing for me to share, maybe it'd be really hard for them, and just kind of trying to approach it with that sort of
0: grace in my response. Yes, yes. And I think that I've learned recently, and I don't know where I've heard this. But to ask the question of, are you asking for advice or would you like advice rather yeah. than giving unsolicited advice? Mm. Because somebody might just want support or encouragement, a thumbs up, you know, a cheer. And others are actually posting this thing because they want advice. They just didn't explicitly say that. Yes. So to asking for that clarification can just only strengthens the relationship between you and that person you're interacting with as well as... um kind of fosters a community expectation. The more people that do that, the more the others will do that. And the more we can make sure that our, our needs as community members are being met and we're being effective as community leaders too. Yeah.
1: That's such a good point and point and just being able to, I think, ask that question or you know ask whatever question is appropriate for that for the scenario at hand can also just help because it's being genuine it's hey I want to actually be a help to you (laughs) and I don't want to say something that's going to be totally not a help to you so you know can you give me a little guidance on what you're looking for I think that can that actually totally opens up conversation in a way that like you're not a mind reader you don't know and just going by your assumption you know you could get it wrong and actually could be you know, give give the opposite of what you were hoping for. So I love that you said that. That's such a good thing to keep, you know, kind of in the forefront of your mind.
0: Well, I think that it applies to relationships too. And you saying I'm not a mind reader <laughs> <laughs> relates to that because my husband has said that to me before. Mm. And we've started doing this thing where I will, like, if I need, I just need a hug. I will make that clear. I just need a hug. Uh, even if I'm coming to you and I'm sharing a problem um, I have to be clear, do I want you to try to fix it or do you just want me to give you a hug and tell you it's going to be okay? Yes. And so when it comes to our relationships with our people in our lives, I think that it it also <laughs> um, can be really helpful.
1: Oh my gosh. I feel so, okay. I have a super quick story. So I feel super strongly about this and something that I see this happen a lot with stepmoms is Mother's Day right? It's a very hard day often for stepmoms. It's complicated. And sometimes at the end of the day, folks are like, nobody acknowledged me. It was horrible. I felt awful. And that does not feel good to be in that scenario. But something that's always been really important to me is I don't find it uh, unromantic to say that I want something. (laughs) So I'm okay with saying, hey, it's really important to me that you get me a card. Or, you know, that you acknowledge me or whatever that is. It's super important to me that you do that. Because to me, that's not unromantic. It's it's actually, like, super romantic when then he does the thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. See, you listened to me. I asked for something. And, it, like, yes. to me, that's that's awesome. That's even better than, like, crossing my fingers and hoping he'll remember my anniversary. Right? To me, I'm like, oh, no. Let's talk about it so that we can both get what we need in this relationship. And I don't think that's only for romantic partners. I think in general, just realizing that like it actually can be extra special to state what you want and then have that person do it. Cause it means they're listening and they're hearing and they want to, to give you what you need. And I think it's easy to romanticize like, Oh, he just knew exactly what I wanted, but it's like, well, if the alternative is you're going to be sad all day because you know, this expectation was placed that maybe isn't fair Maybe you should just say that you want that, and then and then you both can be happy and feel like you've done you've done your best for your relationship. So I'm I'm all about that. I love that you say, "Hey, I need a hug right now." I think that's great.
0: Yeah, well, I think so many um, challenges and resentments uh, could be uh, prevented if we were if we better communicated our needs. Mm. Um, I mean, I <laughs> think that's an underlying theme of so many different things in life is if we all communicated a little bit better about the facts behind the situation, um, for sure. Yeah.
1: Oh, completely. I love that. Oh, good. It's so, it's so applicable to online interactions, in-person interactions, close relationships, newer relationships. It's like just being being open about expectations, I think, can make a huge difference and a huge impact in in the way that those relationships move forward.
0: And I you know I don't know if you participate in Thursday Three, but I've had I've talked to several people about why they started, and they're like because it was an opportunity to just share something that was real. It felt like so the opposite of so much of social media where we're just trying to share the curated thing. Whereas this is a, a picture of me as I am right now, and three things that are actually real life going on for me that I care about, and that's it, it's um it's it's brave and bold to to do that and to just say here's here's me here's what i need and uh it's that's the the best way to be authentic about your own identity is to be to literally be it i guess yeah getting kind of crazy in my (laughs) no i love
1: in within your community like just
0: being like hey here i am and this
1: is this is me i've never done thursday three and i think i might have i think this is my challenge i think you just you just inadvertently called me out i think i gotta make a make a wedding photo book and i gotta do thursday three because i'm feeling really motivated right now
0: (laughs) well um i personally and i will uh lift our entire Simple Scrapper community to supporting you in both of those goals. So we will encourage you along the way. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Well, Grady, this has been such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on here. I have been so
1: excited to chat with you and I just care so much about community and I know that you do and what you have built and facilitated at Simple Scrapper, it's just like this. It's just this amazing thing. It goes beyond just scrapbooking. I have to tell you, folks have, you know, I was away for a little bit and folks reached and I'm pretty new and folks reached out and said, hey, I'm just checking in. I was like, actually, yeah, some life stuff is going on. And so really you've just created something just I think above and beyond what somebody's expectations might be joining like a scrapbooking (laughs) community Mm -hmm. so I just hope you know that because it's really something special and and I really appreciate it personally I know tons of other members feel the
0: same thank you thank you so much for saying that I'm I'm very proud of it and it's really the all of us together is what makes it work yeah absolutely heck yeah all right until all of you listening please go away and remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way if you like the podcast you'll love being a member when you join you'll get access to weekly zoom crops bi-monthly retreats and a huge content library you can head over to simplescrapper.com membership to learn more and join our creative community